you love me, I don't deserve grace on top of grace. More than I've asked for, more than I'm worth, grace on top of grace. And how sweet the sound, what's lost, now found, heaven. Hallelujah, I am free from my sin and sinners. Oh, at the cross you took my place with your grace on top of grace. Yeah, with your grace on top of grace. Lord, how you love. Lord, how you love me, I don't think there is on top of me. More than I've asked for, more than I'm worth, grace on top of me. And how sweet the sound, what's love, and I found heaven came down. Me. Hallelujah, I am free from my sin and pain. Oh, at the cross you took my place with your grace on top of grace. Yeah, with your grace on top of grace. Those of you in-house and those of you who are watching online, it is uh, good to be seen and to see you guys. Every week, as you know, we have uh, 
had a different group coming into the worship center, uh, kind of trying to keep our social distancing at bay, and uh, it is good to see different folks every week. And I hope you're doing well. We're praying for you as a staff, and um, weird days, weird times, and we encourage you to continue up being faithful in your study and your worship and, and being with us as you're able. Um, I wanted to uh, kind of highlight some things during our announcement time today, uh, kind of where we are. I sent an email out to you this week, and look, I understand that the way that the email was written that some of you thought I was, I was speaking at you, hey, make sure you keep watching, make sure you, Chad, keep giving. I know, I know it made everybody nervous. I, you know, when you write it, it doesn't sound and feel like it does when you read it. And actually, we wrote it and sent it out, and Julie and I were sitting across from each other when she got the email, and she said, Mark, you messed up. You wrote this to me. So, yes, it's personal. We love each of you individually, but we sent it to everybody on our email list, which opens the door to my next announcement. We're going to be using that a little bit more. A lot of our emails, man, we've been doing this since March. A lot of the information that we have been giving out is, has been given out over Facebook, our Facebook post. And we're going to continue to do that because a great majority of you are on Facebook and have liked our page. And it's a great way for us to do videos. Julie and I and Anna sometimes have done videos each week, two or three devotionals. And just to kind of keep you up to speed with where we are, we're going to keep doing that. But over the coming weeks, as things change a little bit and we get into the school system, I will also be uh, communicating with you through email. And if you did not get... Uh, an in-your-face email from me this week. Uh, if you will email Wendy at the church, wendy at cwbc.org, or me, or Jeff, uh, we will make sure to add you to our email list, distribution list, so you get those. I'll be sending another one out this week, because we're excited, because um, while we still are doing uh, carefully doing social distancing, um, the last few weeks, as this has spread, you know, the first time around when we were in March and April, we, we all kind of knew somebody who knew somebody who might know somebody who's got COVID. So it felt real distant. And I, as, we, uh, as we had our, uh, so what we did is we rotated all of our Bible studies through three weeks. And I think we were having, for those of you who haven't joined us, we were probably having about 80 or 90 each week. Well, in the last few weeks as it's grown, our numbers have gone down. And so um, we're probably running 30 or 40 uh, in this room, and the rest of you are maintaining online. And look, we want you to know, as leaders, we want you to be wise. We want you to be careful. If you're not feeling good, stay home. If you're concerned, if you're in a high-risk area, please stay home. Please just, just be careful. But in this room, we've got people very, very social distanced. Uh, and uh, so we're excited because next week, we're actually going to go to an every-other-week rotation. So in the, instead of coming once every three weeks, uh, we're inviting you to come every other week, and it'll still be like by Bible studies. Uh, next week, August 2nd, uh, the Rowan's class are invited, the Rhodes class, student ministry leaders, uh, the college group, Bill Havard's group, uh, Pete and Donna Smart's class, the, uh, the shift class, which is Jared Pig and Chad Jackson, and then Lewis's class. And then all the other Bible studies will be the week after that. If you don't have a Bible study, if you will email me, we'll plug you into one of the group, these groups, and so you can, you can be coming, and uh, we're hoping that in the fall we'll just be able to open it up. But I, I just, I want to say something uh, that, uh, and, and I want you to listen, you don't, if you're, if you're concerned, if you're worried, it doesn't make you less of a Christian if you're not in this room. Uh, I do want to encourage you, as I did in that letter, you, uh, don't let Satan distract you, don't 
don't, it's going to be, it's, as time goes on and as this presses on, it's going to be easier just to sleep in on a Sunday morning or not catch up in a Bible study or not to keep up with your Bible study groups. I know that all of our Bible study leaders have tried to keep in touch. Some are doing Zoom discussions. Some are meeting periodically. Uh, I know our group is doing Zoom right now, and we meet every three or four weeks. But um, some of your groups are actually just trying to communicate, sending out all the discussion guides uh, in e by way of email. And they're asking you, hey, let's let each other know what's going on. Please be sharing with each other so that we can keep in contact. It's really easy to get isolated, and uh, that's not what the church is about. Um, it, we want to stay connected to each other, so please keep doing that. Uh, we appreciate your faithful giving over the past few months. Keep it up. Uh, it's allowing us, as I mentioned before, uh, it's allowing us to, to give uh, faithfully to uh, our missionaries and, and maintain things. This will be over at some point. And uh, we'll come back together in this room. If you are not a Carpenter's Way person and you've been watching us online and you want to come join us, there's room. Come join us. Uh, we, make sure we get to know you, though. The reason we're doing Bible studies is we want you connected to people who can pray for you There's just and, and care for you, and you can care for them. There's just no way for us as a staff to keep up with everybody. So anyway, that's where we're at with us. I'm not mad at you, although you should not let Satan distract you. But uh, anyway, so again, if you did not get an email this past week, would you send Wendy an email or text or me and and we'll make or an email, and we will make sure to put you on that list. But that's pretty much it for now. Uh, I'm going to send an email out to you this week to let you know again what Bible studies, uh, what the rotation is over the next month. We love you. We miss you. It's great to see you guys in this room. We're praying for you. I know some of you have been affected business-wise and all, and uh, it's just wonderful to see you this morning. And and uh, let, let's pray and commit our time to the Lord. Father, we love you, and we're thankful that we can gather together here and, and uh, bask in your love for us. And I, I thank you for the text in which we find ourselves today, uh, your prayer in the garden in John 17. Lord, I pray that we would get a sense of just how much you love your children. Often we think of your love for the lost, but Lord, you love your kids. You love your disciples. And uh, boy, we see that in this prayer. So I ask you to teach us stuff this morning. Help us to understand you a bit more. Father, help us to care for one another. Help us to reach out to our neighbors. And Lord Jesus, I pray for our time together today that your Holy Spirit, who is not limited to this room, that lives in your children, uh, that is all places at all time, convict us of sin, encourage us when we need it, and most of all, keep us close to you. We love you, Father. Thank you again for letting us gather in this room and in little churches all across our region and our country. So bless our people, bless our family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're in the room, uh, you're more than welcome to stand and worship with us. If you're uh, logging in home, we definitely uh, encourage you to uh, engage, to, uh, to get there in your room, wherever you're watching, uh, join with us this morning. Father God who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Blessed be your name, oh God. Blessed be your name, oh God. Oh, blessed be your name, oh God. Amen. Give us this day. Give us this day. I daily pray. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Oh, blessed be your name, oh God. Blessed be your name.
Oh, I live my voice to 
Dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Great is
song. Um, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the blessings of this season and so much emphasis with being online is that we have people watching our services from all over the globe. And uh, one of our missionaries in Madagascar, Cho, is watching this morning. And uh, it's good to, good to have contact with you, Cho. And the Silvas from Brazil are watching this morning. And, and uh, 
We're, uh, we're awfully glad to have you with us. Uh, you've been watching a lot, Jay-Z, and we're glad you're joining us. Pam is extremely depressed this morning because she's not in Brazil. So uh, she shared that with me this morning. You know, that song that we just sang is perfect for our message this morning because this morning's text is the Trinity talking to themselves. And uh, so it's, uh, man, we, well, we'll get into that in a moment. Let me bring you up to speed with where you are. Uh, after over the Passover meal in the upper room, Jesus has led his disciples to the garden. Uh, at the base of the Mount of Olives, the garden we know is the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's heading towards the place where he's going to be arrested. While walking, Jesus has this incredibly intense conversation with them that we studied together last week. And um, I want to remind you that you can always go back and pick up the study where, uh, if you missed one, in our archives on our webpage, but now you can even do it and watch live on, on Apple TV and on also Roku. It sounds like a commercial, doesn't it? But uh, we're trying to make it so you can stick with our study. As you know, we study every week verse by verse. When we're done with the study of the life of Christ, we're going to jump into uh, a study that I'm going to call the body, and it's a study of Acts. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to keep going with the narrative of the New Testament but uh, Jesus has just had this incredibly intense conversation on the walk from the upper room to, uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is going to pray in our text today. And it is during that walk that Jesus actually tells the disciples that they're going to abandon him. That's where Jesus has the conversation with Peter, who says, I'll die for you. And Jesus says, uh, before the sun comes up, you, you will have denied even knowing me three times. For the disciples, it has been an incredibly strange week. And I, I know we've been studying this now for, for quite a few weeks, maybe even a couple months, this part of the story, but it was only a few days before that Jesus walked into uh, the city of Jerusalem and was surrounded by a parade of people celebrating what we know as Palm Sunday. Uh, he goes right into the temple courts, and the disciples had to be ex just ex excited beyond belief that the crowd were finally engaging him to be their leader. The only problem is Jesus leads that parade right into the temple grounds and turns the tables over. And turning the tables over, he rebukes the religious leaders and those that are marketing off of, 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 uh, of God's relationship with man through the Jewish religion. And then he turns to the crowd that's with him and he rebukes them. That must have blown the disciples' mind. They must have been dismayed. Uh, during that, uh, the few days of Passover in preparation for Passover, the temple grounds are packed. And during that week, Jesus preaches. Uh, he is doing some miracles. And the crowds gather every day to hear from him. Large groups. But as excited as the disciples must have gotten about that, they watch just as fast as those groups of people actually turn away from him and abandon him. Things are not going this week the way they intended Finally, they get alone for their own private Seder dinner, uh, what we, that's called the Seder. It's the Passover meal. Uh, they sit down in the upper room together. But before they sit down, it begins with something else weird. Jesus takes off his outer garment and he begins to wash their feet. Then he has this big discussion with Peter once again where they argue over why he's washing his feet. And, and Jesus, during that dinner, when they sit down for the meal, he talks about one of them abandoning him. And then Judas gets up and leaves. And it tells us in the Gospels that their thoughts on Judas leaving aren't that he's the one Jesus is talking about. They figure he's got to pay the bill for the meal or something. Uh, but he never returns. So this is a weird week. The dinner was weird as well. While they're sitting around the table, Jesus begins explaining that he is again, he's telling them again, this is probably the fourth or fifth time, I'm leaving you. I'm going to my father. Well, where are you going? 
I'll, I can't, I, you can't follow me this time. And he tells them that they're going to be without him. And, he, and their response to that was to debate over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom because it was their expectation, as far as we know, that before the next Passover in the next year that they, the kingdom of God will come and that they will be his co-leaders of this amazing kingdom. It's after the meal, as I already mentioned at the beginning of the message, they head to the Garden of Gethsemane, where as they walk, Jesus doubles down on leaving them. They get upset. Peter argues with him, and Jesus responds by saying, not just Peter will deny him, but all of them will. Before the night is up, they'll all be in hiding for the next few days. They will run from him and deny knowing him. In John 16, verse 32, they arrive at the garden, and Jesus gives them these final words that are very important. The time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. A word on our study of this. I had several of you uh, email me uh, to let me know and text me this week how much you're enjoying the study. But you felt like last week, which was actually three chapters, it was John 14, 15, and 16, we could have slowed down and taken each as a section. Some of you just went, slow down, the guy. We've been in this study for a year and a half. We will finish someday. But, but um, uh, some were saying we should slow down. Each of those sections of what Jesus said can be studied on their own. And the truth is that's true. Um, they can be studied on their own. And I might argue that most of us have been in church services where pastors have broken them down and explain um, each part of doctrine of what Jesus is telling them as they go. There are good doctrinal studies on what Jesus meant by the things that he said. However, those studies that you've done don't represent what was happening that day. We might understand what Jesus means by going away and I'm building a place for you and all that, but the truth is that I want us to walk with Jesus with the disciples because it's very relevant to where we live today. Jesus didn't stop and explain, and I'm sure they wanted him to. As Jesus said, you're going to deny me. As Jesus said, you're going to walk away. You're going to go in hiding. And while we only think of him saying that to Peter, he said it to all of them. While they wanted him to explain where he was going and in my father's house and how can the kingdom come never next year and, not, uh, and yet you say you won't be here. All of those things are questions the disciples must have wanted answered, but Jesus didn't answer them then. Why? Why would Jesus not answer every doctrinal question for them like we like? Why would he not explain every detail? Because his point to them and to us at the end of the day is not that they or we need to understand everything that God is doing and going to do. Rather, it's John 14, 1, where he began his conversation with them on the walk. This was the opening statement. John 14, 1, he tells them, don't let your hearts be troubled trust in God, trust also in me. That's the point. And I think in Western culture, and especially in America, where we still believe that God helps those who help themselves, that is not in the Bible, that is Benjamin Franklin's quote, and it's not true. God does not save or help those who help themselves. God helps or saves those who desperately seek him. That's the scriptures. We think that the more we understand, the more faithful we'll be, the more understanding we'll be of the tribulation that we face, the the, the easier it will be for us to face it, but that's simply not true. 
Jesus' exhortation to the disciples and to us is trust in me. Put your trust in me, not in yourself. While they had some pieces of the story of what was going to happen in the next few days, while they had some understanding of what was going to happen in the coming years, they did not know the details of every day, and that freaked them out. And right now in the church, we have an idea of how this story ends. We know that we'll go to be with the Lord. We know that he's preparing a place for us. It's very much the same information the disciples had. We have studied our whole lives about the tribulation period. Some of us are convinced in a pre-trib rapture. Some of us in the middle. Some of us don't believe in a rapture at all. But we've got our minds settled. And now that the world is acting in some way like we thought it would act one day, we want more information. And that makes you gullible to people that want to sell you things that they do not know. The truth is, trust God. That's what he wants from us. Belief, trust, submission, surrender. He doesn't want you to know more or he'd have given you more information. And because we want more information and we struggle with trust, there is an element of Christendom right now that is teaching, don't take the vaccine for coronavirus because in it is going to be a chip and that chip is the mark of the beast and if you take it, you're going to hell. I want to assure you that the scripture says the mark of the beast is real and it will also be easily known. It will be identified by 666. Take a breath, family. Don't freak out. God is not going to leave you to wander around hopelessly not knowing what to do. You've got the Holy Spirit within you. You've got the body of Christ around you. We've got the Word of God as a lamp to our feet. We just need to trust Him and trust Him with the things that we don't even know. One more thought on this before I move into our text. And that is this. That since I moved to the South 15 years ago, the name, um, uh, uh, the whole Calvinism versus Arminian debate has, has seems to have resurfaced. I don't know if it's just in the South or it's, it's just resurfaced surfaced in the church. Can I be clear that we have been battling this doctrinal argument, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, just ignore it. For 500 years, this has been debated. And the reason is, is because there are verses that represent both sides. I have a way that I believe based upon the scriptures, and I can explain the others away. But the truth is, God has not sent an angel to the earth to say, this is how it is because of this. He hasn't done that. And you know why? Because he doesn't want you to know how he does everything and why. He wants you to trust him. Trust him. It's all about trust. Before salvation, sin is a problem. After salvation, trust is the only issue. And I know that, that you're upset right now about the world. We're all kind of, it's just, you're not sleeping well. We, not you, us. We're not sleeping well, and you wake up, and some of us turn the news on, and then you turn it on three weeks later and find out you didn't miss anything, but it's still upsetting. The fact remains that there's only one way to have peace in this life, because Jesus, just like he said to the disciples, you're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Put your trust in him. Put your trust in him, wherever you are. To my friends in Madagascar, to my friends in Brazil, we have not forgotten you, and we are praying for you. To my friends in California, to my friends in East Texas, your staff is praying for you. Pray for us. Pray for each other. But most of all, as you pray for deliverance from the virus, and we can go back to normal, as you pray for the election, remember to pray that we will trust God even if every one of those things don't go the way we want them to go. Because God is faithful. And he's got a plan. 
and he has not shown it to you. Trust him. Trust him. I, I want to pray for us, and then, uh, and then we're going to jump into today's study. And I know, I know some of you are thinking, I already did. Um, too bad. Thank you, Lord, for your word that doesn't return void. And I thank you for this text, Father, that is so relevant to our lives because as we study the disciples, we realize that while our time may be different and our concerns may be different, the truth is they were just as blind and confused as us. And your exhortation to them, although you gave them little pieces of information like you've given us through your word, through the visions of John, your message to them is the same as it is to us. Trust me, I got this. We struggle in trusting, Lord. We ask for one more piece of information, just like the disciples did. One more, one more sign that you can be trusted. And you tell us, trust me without another sign. Just trust me. So I pray, Father, this morning as we work through this text, we would learn to trust you a little bit more. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So Jesus and the disciples have arrived in the Garden of Gethsemane at the base of the Mount of Olives. And his final conversation that I've mentioned already with the disciples is complete. And Jesus turns away or gets on his knees, but he turns to prayer. Something happens from the moment they arrive and he finishes John 16 with what I just read you. In the world you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And he turns his eyes towards heaven and he starts to pray. And while he prays, the disciples listen in. We just sang at the last, the last song this morning, Holy, Holy, Holy. And at the end of that, you sang Blessed Trinity. Well, the fact is that John 17 allows us to listen in as Jesus, second member of the Trinity, talks to the first member of the Trinity, God the Father. I know that there are many in this community that don't believe in the Trinity. They, they believe in what's called modalism, that Jesus takes the mode of a, hum, of, of a man while he's on the earth. He takes the mode of God the Father when he's in heaven. But that would be weird because he's talking to the Father right now. It would be weird when he talked to him at other times and the Father spoke about him from heaven while Jesus is standing there and the Holy Spirit is descending like a dove. The truth is the Trinity is taught throughout the New Testament. It, it may not be easy for us to understand, but once again, you have to trust him. Jesus prays for three things that I want you to watch out for in this prayer. Number one, he actually prays for himself in the first five verses. The second thing he prays for is his disciples that are around him, and that's in verses 6 through 19. And then at the end, he prays for another group that is my favorite part of this prayer and pretty remarkable if you think about it. So let's jump into the first five verses. So Jesus finishes his conversation, says, In this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And then he looks up into heaven, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory that we shared before the world began. Jesus actually begins his prayer, his prayer right before his arrest, by praying for himself, but it wasn't a selfish prayer. It was our Lord's obsession and task to come and serve in the beginning of his prayer. He talks about glorifying the Father, having served his Father's will. I I know that as we look at Jesus' pictures and as we pray, we like Jesus the best out of all three members of the Trinity. Don't worry, we're going to talk a lot about the third member of the Trinity when we get into the book of Acts. But Jesus is our favorite. 
We kind of see the father as the angry one, the judge who sits behind with the white hair and, and the big black robe, and he sits behind the judge's desk. And it's Jesus who's kind of soft-hearted, hipster, kind of, you know, I don't know. He's got the long hair, the blue eyes, and he's got a gentle spirit, and he's always kind of weeping, and he's kind of hugging people all the time, except for social distancing periods. But he's just the soft-hearted one. So he's the one we go to. And I want to make it clear this morning that the only reason, according to Scripture, that Jesus came was in obedience to the Father. I want to remind you of the verse that you know. For God the Father, referring to, so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Jesus did not come of his only of his own free will. He came out of obedience to the Father. And that's what he's talking about here. He is saying that he has glorified the Father by doing what the Father wanted him to do. And then he talks about finishing his task by giving eternal life to those the Father has given him. So while we think about salvation, we always think about Jesus because we think of the blood and we want to talk about not going to hell. I want to remind you that this was always about a relationship with God. The Father. Now the Trinity is one, and I'm separating them too much today, but the truth is as we get into the New Testament, you're going to understand why the Holy Spirit, or get into the, the book of Acts, you're going to understand more why the Holy Spirit had to come, why Jesus said it would be better if he physically left and allowed the Holy Spirit to come and transform us from the inside out. We'll talk about that a lot in the study of the body in Acts. But for now, you need to understand that Jesus came in obedience to the Father. And you knew that, but it doesn't make its way into our heart because most of our messages today are about how Jesus loves you. Jesus doesn't want you to go to hell, so accept his offer and go to heaven. And I want you to understand that there was something bigger going on at the beginning of time before the world was formed that God wanted that caused him to send Jesus. And it was not to keep us out of hell. It tells us in this that Jesus came to serve the Father's will and then coming he came to serve and not take and do what, not what was best for himself. This is a very important lesson for the disciples for, to see and for us to see because John's going to tell us in the first epistle that those who love Jesus should live as Jesus did. This is an upside down kingdom that our Lord rules. In other words, while kings demand you serve them, this king serves you and demands you accept his service. And that's difficult. That's very difficult. Ask Peter who didn't want the king to wash his feet. Ask Peter who didn't want the king to die for his sins. Ask Peter who struggled with that concept of the disciples who wanted to help Jesus out. It was not an easy task for Jesus, who was king of kings, creator of the universe according to, he uh, uh, to Hebrews chapter 1, who put himself at the, at the, at the uh, behest of the violent hatred of the creation he came to save. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this, that, we, uh, that uh, Jesus uh, was the champion, the finisher, who initiated and perfected our faith, because of the joy that was awaiting him. So there was something ahead. And what was it he experienced? He endured the cross and, dis and scorned its shame. There was a cross in Jesus' life, and this is really important, because of where you live right now, because of what the disciples were about to experience. We have this idea, because we live a pretty good life in the States, that life is for a Christian should be easier should be simpler, should be less, cha uh, less chaotic than the world. But Jesus has just told them that in the world you're going to have trouble, but don't worry, I've overcome the world. Jesus modeled 
that by looking forward to the joy that was coming and that would cause him to endure the cross and scorn its shame. In Matthew, if that tells us what Jesus was thinking, Hebrews 12, 2, Matthew 26, 38 tells us what he was feeling. Look at this scripture. This is a little later. Next week we'll talk about this. But Jesus walks on with the three disciples and he explains what he's feeling. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here with me and keep watch. So Jesus was not having a good day. Jesus wasn't high-fiving himself. This wasn't a party for him. He wasn't prospering. You could argue that in the religion of Christendom, from a human point of view, nobody was a bigger failure than Jesus. Now be careful what you hear me say here. Because Jesus was killed by the very people he said he came to serve. That's losing in most books. And that's how the disciples saw it. The beginning of Jesus' prayer in John 17 tells us why he would endure the shame and pain. What is this joy that is set before him that glorified the Father and yet it would cause him such agony, shame, and feeling of crushed soul? John 17, 14, 4. I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you told me to do. What had the Father asked him to do? Okay, so pause here for a second. I know I'm going fast. But what Jesus glorifying the Father. How does he do that? That was his plan. Father, help me finish glorifying you. I came to glorify you. I've done that. Now I'm going to glorify you. Well, how's he going to do it? By doing everything the Father told him to do. And what was the task that the Father told him to do? Ephesians 1.5. So God decided, referring to the Father, in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So again, all right, I'm going slow, and you've heard this before, but this is super important. Jesus Christ did not come to keep you and I from hell. That's not true. That's like 25% of the story. Jesus Christ came to fulfill his Father's will. And Ephesians 1.5 tells us what his father, Father's will was, to adopt us. The price of Jesus' blood paid for the sin that somebody had to pay for. And you and I had to pay for it. And that sin separated us from the Father. The Father wasn't going, how do we keep him from being punished? How do we keep him from hell? How do we do that? Oh, Jesus, come up with an idea. That wasn't the thinking. The thinking was, I want them as my kids. They've turned their back on me. How do we redeem them? How do we bring them back into fellowship? And that was through Jesus Christ. God's unchanging plan was to adopt you. It was a loving plan. It wasn't a saving plan. It was a relational plan. In Colossians 1, 19 and 20, it says, For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of blood on the cross. John 3, 16, which I already referred to, says that the Father sent his Son to save us from eternal punishment, and now we know why. Because he wanted the punishment to be removed so that we could be his adopted children. John 17, 1-5, the beginning of his prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. 
I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into glory we shared before the world began. Jesus was willing to endure the pain and the shame and to make possible the Father's unchanging plan of adopting us by paying the adoption price with his blood. It would be through Christ's death that the payment for our sin would be taken on our behalf so that we could be rescued from its penalty and be adopted. It is not enough for us to think that it's about heaven and hell. It's not enough. That's just how we scare the hell out of people. People need to understand that the point of Jesus' coming was to make them adoptable so they could have a personal, intimate relationship with God. One gets you to walk an aisle. The other gets you to walk the aisle of life faithfully. God cares about us. He cares about you. He doesn't just not want you into hell. He's not going to look at you as you enter and go, you just barely made it, buddy. He's going to go, my kids are home. You're my kid. But I wasn't a good kid. I know. But I died twice as hard for you. It's peace. It's a relationship. That's why no matter who wins the election in the fall, it's going to be okay. Well, they'll take all my money. Maybe they will, but it's still okay because this will all be over in 90 years. This is, as C.S. Lewis used to say, this isn't the, death isn't the end. It's the end of the beginning. Our hope is in God. In last week's text, I hope as we studied, you, you noticed what Jesus, uh, what the encouragement was that Jesus gave to the disciples. After he said, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be killed, you're going to be scattered, you're going to, you know, bad things are going to happen. He says, but don't worry, in my Father's house are many mansions. He tells them every time, go back and read 14, 15, and 16. Every time he talks about hope, he talks about hope in the next life. And I'm telling you, one of the scariest parts about modern Christendom is we keep telling you, you can have hope in this life. The hope in this life is found in the hope in the next life. And if you are living for hope in this life, or a good day, or a happiness... You're going to end up divorcing your spouse. You're going to end up leaving the church for another church. You're going to end up drinking yourself because it doesn't work. Our hope is found as we trust the Lord, looking forward to what he has promised us. You are rich right now than you could ever possibly imagine, only you can't get to that money yet. It is hidden and stored for you where moth and rust and thief can't destroy. You have a room awaiting you in heaven, but you can't go there today. God hasn't called you for it. So what do I do today? You keep living. The sun comes up in the morning and it goes down at night. And, and you, you love on your neighbors and you love on your pastor and you love on each other and you pray for our missionaries and you pray for our friends that are suffering and you pray for those that are sick and when God takes them home, if they know the Lord, we celebrate the fact that their turmoil is over. Our hope is in the Lord and His plan. He ends by asking the Father to bring Him into glory. Did you see in John 17, 3, though, how a person gets saved? And this is especially important for you, those of you who don't know Jesus. This is the way, John 17, 3, Jesus is talking. For those of you who no longer believe in the church, I, I get it. Boy, I, I really get it sometimes. And you're looking for what Jesus has to say about how a person is saved. Here it is. This is the way to have eternal life. To know you. The only true God is Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Please notice what it doesn't say. 
It doesn't say that the way to eternal life is walking an aisle. It does not say it's by praying a prayer or being baptized or joining a church. Those are all fine things. And those are ways to know the Lord and to grow in your relationship with the Lord and to be obedient to the Lord. But to have eternal life is not a religious event. It's knowing God and His Son Jesus. It's knowing Him. It's running to Him. And if you're watching this morning or you're in the room and you don't know that you know Him, don't run to the church. Run to Jesus. Well, I don't know what to do when I run to Him. Start by telling Him the truth. Quit letting people tell you what to do and run to God. This is the way Jesus said to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one he sent to earth. If you're trying to figure out how a person receives eternal life, according to Jesus, that's the answer. Now you know. Make today the day you are adopted into his family. Acknowledge you're a sinner. And acknowledge that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and accept his offer to forgive you and follow him. But the disciples' thoughts were not just on Jesus' task and those he would save. It wasn't, those, those weren't the only thoughts on Jesus' mind. I said that wrong. Let me rephrase that. Jesus' thoughts were not just on himself. His thoughts were also on the disciples. And so his prayer continued in verse 6. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring glory to me. Now, I want to pause for a second because there's something really important here. Number one, sometimes guys like me make it sound like to people like you that God only loves the lost and he's mad at the saved. You're not good enough. You're not faithful enough. Let me be clear. In his last moments of life, Jesus wasn't praying for the lost. He was praying for the disciples. He loves them. He's concerned for them. And what's weird is he seems to be proud of them in this. I mean, he's He's bragging on him a little bit to his father. And that was weird because as I thought about this week, I thought about the guys that Jesus seems to be loving on and proud of talking to his father. I want to remind you that these are the guys who woke him up when he slept in the boat and they were mad that he didn't care that they were about to die. These were the same guys who rebuked him for talking about leaving and dying so much. These were the guys who questioned where they would eat or sleep because they were hungry and tired from walking with him and preaching. These are the guys who had gotten on his case for letting thousands leave because his preaching was too rough. These were the guys who told him that they didn't want to follow him to raise Lazarus or they'd be killed along with him. <laughs> These were the guys who agreed with Judas and rebuked him for allowing Mary to anoint his feet with expensive perfume. These are the same guys who just moments before they were, ti uh, they, uh, they were tired of his speaking and riddles and wanted him to talk plainly. These are the same guys who just listened to him talk about dying and, and continued and interrupted him by arguing about who's going to be the greatest among them. These are the same guys who in a few moments would refuse to respect his wishes and stay and pray, but would fall asleep instead. These are the same men who in a, a few short hours are going to desert him. And these are the same guys who would refuse to believe Mary and the other women when they are told that Jesus actually had resurrected as he promised he would they doubted it 
These are the guys he's calling his own, the ones he loves, and says that they bring him glory. Aren't you glad God has such low standards for us? I mean, seriously, aren't you glad that even if you get it wrong on the masks, even if you're scared to go to church and some preachers think you're a lousy Christian because of it, aren't you glad that even after salvation you struggle with sin just like these men? If you're his, he says, you still bring me glory. Verse 11, now I'm departing the world and they're staying in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your, your name so that they will be united just as we are. Not only was Jesus proud of them in his final moments, but he's concerned about them. He's worried because he's leaving and they're left behind. And he prays that they would be protected and unified in purpose. Verse 12. During my time here, and here's why he's worried. I protected them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except for the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. He's talking about Judas. For those who doubt whether or not, who wonder if Judas is saved or not, this seems to infer that Judas was not saved. Verse 13, now I'm coming to you. I've told them, the disciples, many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I don't belong to the world. In case you missed it, once the disciples were Christ's followers, Jesus seems to be saying that they were not any more part of the world than he was. It seems to be, if we take this and First and Second Peter, the case is that many of us aren't aware that Jesus, the disciples, and we are not only adopted into God's family and kingdom, but we have actually been adopted out of this world and its kingdoms. Our real citizenship is heaven. That's our real citizenship. Our daddy is the king of that kingdom. That's where our hope is. This world, just like the old song said, actually isn't our home. We're just here to fulfill God's task, and then we go home. I want you to keep that in mind as you watch the world burn. Let me pretend for a second that all of the, all of, of the scared Christians are right, and we are now entering into the last days of the last days. It seems like my whole life I've been in the last days. But let's assume for a second that these really are the last days, and we're going to see the world burn around us, and America becomes socialist, and there's no more cash in your pocket. It's all credit cards and chips and everything else. That's okay. This isn't our world. And the problem is, as James says, we got one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. And when you do that, you're bound to get ripped up the middle. That's why our stomachs are in knots. We're trying to retain what we know because we don't know what we don't know. That's where trust comes in. Jesus, when he was with the disciples, it was easier because they could tap him on the shoulder and rebuke him or they could question but Jesus never answered their questions directly or very rarely. Just like with you and I, the more you study the tribulation, the rapture. Somebody called me this last week and asked me about a section of scripture. I don't see the rapture in here and this talks about the end time. And my answer was simple. That's because it's not right there. 
It's not there. Well, where is it? Well, you really got to read between the lines. And I'm a 56 percenter. I 56 today. It's different every week. Uh, today, I'm 56 percent convinced of a pre-tribulation rapture. That means I'm only 6% accountable if it doesn't happen. It doesn't matter. What matters is I'm following Jesus in his plan for this time. These disciples were chosen for this time of history to walk through with Jesus this, to start the church, to plant the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you and I, as the children of God, have been chosen to live at such a time as this. In 2020, God isn't going, man, I didn't think that would happen so fast. And it doesn't matter how many times you tell off, uh, you tell off people at cash registers that you wish they had more change, it ain't going to change anything. If this is God's prophetic time for things to wrap up, you're not going to stop it because it's God's time to wrap things up. Stop trying. Stop panicking. Stop freaking out. Well, I don't know what to do. Walk with Jesus. That's it. That's all we got, you guys. We got Jesus and nothing else. That's all we got. I want you to notice in John 17, 15, next verse. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. I was such a dumb kid. If I'd have known this verse, I could have split my church right down the middle. You see, I grew up in a Christian environment where everything was intended to protect and separate me from the world. Did you see what that said? Just leave it up there. Jesus talking to his father. Father, I'm leaving, and I'm kind of concerned, so I'm asking you to protect them. While I was here, I could protect them, but I'm leaving. I'm coming to be with you, and you're going to glorify yourself in me, and we're going to do some great work, but I'm leaving, and Lord, they're no longer protected. I'm asking you, Father, don't remove them from the world. Now you know why you're still here. Why doesn't God just take us home? Because it's not about comfort yet. Yet. Why is he allowing us to go through this? Because we're not done. They weren't done. Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the lion stinking sack of stuff. Satan. We're going to start referring to him as that. We give him way too much respect. He's just a lying angel. He's evil. He's deceitful. He wants you afraid. He wants your eyes off of Jesus, and we are an easy target, it seems like. He doesn't want us removed from the world. When I grew up, we had our own Christian schools. We had our own colleges. We had our own Christian yellow pages in our church where we could find our own mechanics and haircutters. We had our own athletic teams and rec leagues. We had our own gyms and family centers and extracurricular activities and clubs. Why? Because the call of the church was come out from among them. When Jesus prayed right here, I'm not asking you to keep them out of the world. I want them in the world. If you... All right. Hmm. Okay. My email is jeff at cwbc.org. If you are removing yourself from the world because you refuse to wear a mask because somebody's invading your right, you are not fulfilling your task in this life. If you are, if you are removing yourself from church because you refuse to concede to a lie, you may think, and it might be, then you are letting Satan distract you from your task. Wear the stupid mask. I just got a text. My arm beeped. I, I get it. I don't like it either. I don't like what's going on. 
But to demand rights at the cost of souls or obedience is not the right thing. And we are called to be in the world. To be in the world. I'm going to go ahead and somebody's going to email me and say, don't you care about America? Not as much as I did a week ago. What about your grandkid? I would like him to grow up fat, dumb, and happy, but then he will be a fat, dumb, and happy adult like we've got all over our culture today. Maybe a little trauma is good for the soul. And you know what? When it's Sam's time, he's going to go home too. I pray for his soul now. Zach and Hannah and Anna and Julie and myself and you. Don't save the world. Lead them to Jesus who can save them. It's okay to vote. It's okay to speak up. But my goodness, friends, if we save America and lose souls, what have we accomplished? Jeff at cwbc.org. Christ specifically prays here that the disciples are not taken out of the world. Don't remove yourself from it because you don't like what they're doing. That's not how this is played. And even if right now you can kind of laugh and Mark's a fool, that's okay. What have we done at Christmas? We tell people to go. You're not going to go to a store that doesn't say Merry Christmas? That's exactly where we should be. Take Jesus into places people don't believe in him. We should specifically put white pages for believers to go into, and they should be all the places that don't say Merry Christmas. And I'm not talking about going to Starbucks and writing, having them write your name, Merry Christmas, so they go, Merry Christmas, your latte's up. <laughs> Clever Christianity is the worst. Did, did you understand? Okay, another time. You guys, we're the salt and light of the world. We're the messengers of reconciliation. We're the ones who offer hope to the hopeless. We're the people who say, even if you are whatever, Jesus loves you, and the Father loves you, and he sent his son to die for you. If we're so mad at them for acting ridiculous, I am really getting a lot of texts right now. If, we're, if we get really mad at the world for, rebu for acting like the lost, for acting uh, in their own self-interest, we misunderstand our task. Right? Okay. Back to our text. The disciples and we need to be careful not to remove ourselves from the world because God does, hasn't removed us from it. In fact, we have been sent into it. Make sure you shop and live where Jesus is not welcome. Make sure you don't abandon the world because they ask you to wear a mask or they don't live like you or have the same morals because that's exactly where we've been sent. Remember that the, how they mocked Jesus, the religious people? They called him a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners because he hung out with them. Prostitutes, tax collectors, the most wicked of their day. Verse 16 verse through 19. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And my give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they could be made holy by your truth. Christ had told the Father how proud he was of these boys, and he prayed that the disciples would be protected from the evil one in his absence as they were sent into the world that, uh, that had rejected him and would reject them. And how, do, uh, how did he say that they would stay on task and focused? By his truth, his word. Psalm 119.11. I love this verse. We've got to memorize it. Good verse to memorize this week. 
I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can I live if we don't have church every week? How will I know what God wants me to do? His word. Psalm 119.11. Memorize it. Have your kids memorize it. It's uh, 3, 6, 9, 12, 13, 14 words. No quizzes next week, but it would be a really good thing for us to have our heart. And if you're unable to memorize, write it down and put it on the steering wheel of your car. How do I stay away from sin? God's word. The most incredible part of this prayer, though, is who he prays for next. And I hope you're moved by this. John 17, 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. In the moments before his arrest and his death, he was thinking of you. He was praying for you. All of those who would be say, believe in me through their message. Most of the New Testament was written by the apostles. And they led somebody to Christ, who led somebody to Christ, who led somebody to Christ, who faithfully obeyed God and came to the Americas to tell people who came to Christ, to tell others about Christ, who told others about Christ. And the message came to East Texas, and you and I are here today worshiping because of their faithfulness. And he was praying for us. What was he praying? Verse 21. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world, so that the world will believe you sent me. I had given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What is the one thing Jesus prays for us? That we're unified. Why is unity among us his focus? Because somehow in supernatural unity, we're not talking about us just hugging each other and high-fiving. We're not talking about singing songs in unison. We're talking about a unity of heart and mind. Somehow, by this supernatural level of, of unity, the world looks and says, nobody can get along that well. They've got to be freaks. No, we're not. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. It is our unity that is our most powerful te uh, testimony, apparently. When the world sees how different we are, obviously the world can't get along at all. Even Democrats and Republicans don't get along among themselves. As the world sees this king of divine inspired unity, this kingdom of divinely inspired unity in the church, they will see the power of God in us and they'll see God. Again, unity is not just loving each other, it's, it's one message. And what is that message? Jesus. You can be reconciled to God through Jesus. It's the one thing that we should all agree on. If you don't, you're not saved. For God sent his son into the world, not to condemn it, but to save it. We are messengers of reconciliation. At the, you know, restaurant, at the gas station, to the air conditioner guy who comes too late, even to the people who work at Suddenlink. Messengers of reconciliation. That's our purpose, even if our internet stinks. That's our purpose. We're here to fulfill that purpose and nothing else. My purpose in raising my kids was to raise them up to be messengers of reconciliation, not just to keep them out of hell. So I raised warriors. My message to my son and my daughter-in-law is 
Don't just raise a sweet little chubby boy. Raise a warrior. And if he lives to 20, thank God for 20 years to serve the king. Or he lives to 200 if they discover the pill. Thank God for 200 years. But it's all for God's glory. If it really is, if it really, really, really is about getting back to normal so that we can go and have chips and salsa, which is the most difficult part of this whole thing, and just have as much as we want over and over so that we can go on with our life, the problem is next year you're going to have a cardiac event which will take you to the doctor and you're going to die six months later. Well, you're a happy man. I am, that is good news if your hope is in the Lord. I know that's weird. And Kevin will tell you who does my cardiac stuff that I get nervous when my blood pressure is too high. He's going to take this message and throw it in my face because he likes to do that. I'm kidding. But the, the truth is we're all scared of dying the doorway. But if my hope is in the Lord, it's just a doorway. It's a doorway. Home. Heaven. God. And let's take as many people with us as we can. Well, how do I do that? Well, first and foremost, you've got to be out among them. Put the mask on. If your neighbor gets COVID, put two masks on and take them dinner. Love each other. Do something. Christians need encouragement. Stretch yourself. Email your whole Bible study class, even if you're not the shepherd, and tell them you're praying for them. Tell them what's going on in your life. Commit yourself to studying the Word. That's what that letter was supposed to say this week. Because I was thinking about it as I was studying this message. Don't forget we need each other. And even if we can't gather, and I'm not, I'm not angry that people can't gather, you've got to be smart. I, I put a seatbelt on. I'm reminded every time. Every time I put a seatbelt on, I'm reminded that we've got to live wisely. I put a seatbelt on because I don't want to be ejected through the windshield of my car. Well, God is sovereign. If he wants you to fly up in heaven that way, then he will. Okay, well, I'm going to ride on the hood today. I mean, don't be stupid. Stupid is a Greek word, so you can use it. It's the same with this. Be smart. I'm not mad about that. I don't, I don't think you're a weak Christian or lack faith because you're nervous. But you still got to serve the Lord in the world. Get out there. Get out there. He was praying for you. End of it. We're about to wrap up. Whenever I read these last few verses of the Lord's Prayer, I can't help but thinking of a groom who's gone away to prepare a place for his bride and he's looking back and he's longing to take her there to introduce her to the family. Listen to what he says. Father, I want those whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. I think that's interesting because I think that kind of says that Jesus wasn't looking forward to leaving the disciples, but it was the best. It was the Father's plan. He wasn't going, glad to get out of here. He was worried about the disciples. He's concerned for us, for our unity. And now he says, I want them to be with me, with you. This might explain Psalm 116, verse 15. That verse says, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. That's a weird verse. I share it at just about every funeral I do of a believer. Because if this is true, Jesus is poised at the right hand of the Father looking forward to us coming home to greet us. Good to see you, Mark. I've been waiting for you. Whoa. Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of His saints. Why? Because we get to go be with Him. And He just prayed to the Father, I want them to be with me. 
O righteous Father, verse 25, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. And when he had finished praying this prayer, while they listened, Jesus led his disciples, or a few of them, across the Kidron Valley to a place alone in an olive grove where they all fell asleep. What a bunch of boobs. Just like us. But a week later, he's going to make them breakfast because he loves them. Because they're his. We may be a mess, but we're his mess. And if you're watching out there and you don't know our Lord, don't join us. Join him. And then you get us with him. Congratulations. We're a mess. So fix us. The power of the Holy Spirit, make us complete in God. Brothers and sisters, don't be afraid. If I can quote Jesus, what's the worst thing that can happen in this life? You die? That was what Jesus told the disciples when he said they'd be arrested and killed. What's the worst they can do to you? Kill you? <laughs> As the disciples went, yeah, that's pretty bad. That's only because we're looking from it, at it from this side of the door. From the other side of the door, it's going to be like, what were we waiting for? Put your eyes on Jesus. They had no idea what the next hour would hold. Jesus did. And it would terrify them. I have no idea. You have no idea what the next few months are going to hold. And maybe it will terrify us. But the one constant is we will not be alone. Run to him. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that does not return void. And it is my prayer, Father, that we would be more passionate for your kingdom and more passionate to obey you than we are our kingdom, our country, our desires, our flesh, and our family. May above all else, we be servants of the king. Thank you for this prayer that let us know that on your mind in the last hours of your human life, you were committed to fulfilling the plan of the Father. You were concerned for the disciples' faithfulness. And you were concerned that we would be unified. Now may it be. In the name and power of Jesus Christ, amen. I love you. Have a wonderful week.